what I will be doing is a conversational style of moderation, which means that we will not spend the first 10 minutes with them giving, uh, giving you their resumes and telling you how awesome they are, um, but we will work into things that they've um, designed experientially as they answer questions. About 15 minutes before the panel ends, I want to engage you. So if you have questions as the panels come up, if you could just please hold them to the end. And then um, what we'll do is we'll have you stand up and project. This is a fairly small room, so we want to make sure that everybody can hear everybody. Um, if you can't hear us, just raise your hand and we will speak louder. And, uh, and also the other thing that I will be doing is if somebody looks like they're talking for 20 minutes, I will ask them to quietly postpone that to some sort of podcast or Instagram reel uh, rather than, because we do have four awesome personalities and they're all very big and large and amazing. Five awesome personalities. <laughs> but I'm moderator. Still an awesome I get to manage you all, <laughs> which, is, which is a challenge in and of itself, believe me. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so wish me luck on this. Um, so how we're going to do intros is this. Um, what I would like my panelists to do is we're going to start from one end to the other. Give me your name. Give me very briefly the genre of the types of games that you work on. And then um, talk about an element of narrative design that someone else worked on that you would recommend. I ask all the hard questions of because... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Are we starting on that end? And we're starting on this side. Hey, everybody. I'm Teos Abadia. You can find me at alphastream.org, and that'll tell you everything that I do. Uh, also, you can listen to my podcast, Mastering Dungeons. Thanks for coming. Uh, something that uh, someone else did. Well, I think a really cool narrative device is in the gumshoe game Knight's Black Agents. There is something called the Conspiramid, like Conspiracy Pyramid. And it puts all of the different sort of the structure of the evil forces out in a inverted pyramid, in a pyramid shape. And um, that allows you, helps you as DM to think of the fact that the players can go to any of those points and work their way up towards the top. And it's a really nice visual way of, of ensuring that you don't create too linear a process and engage that narrative. My name is Brian C.P. Steele. I do stuff. Um, the, uh, the genre? Oh, yes. Uh, I've done fantasy, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic, um, Saturday morning cartoon, uh, across the board. Um, I want to call out, I actually was just talking about it yesterday with a friend, uh, that the Free League publishing um, the Alien game, I love the fact that they know that your characters, are, cinematically you're playing in a world that everyone is going to die like that, and I love the fact that they are rewarding the player, your, your player gets experience rather than the characters. Uh, that you are, it, it lends more to the fact that we are a bunch of people at the table playing the game. It's not mine, I don't care about my numbers on the page as much as I'm having a good time and telling a good story. And I think that that's rad. Okay, um, I'm Crystal Mazer. I am a freelance writer and game designer. Um, the genres that I work in is um, horror, family friendly, and like everything else in between. <laughs> um, two sides, really opposite spectrum. Um, and then one of the coolest narrative designs that um, I have encountered is something that I actually learned about over the summer, um, which is from a RPG called RPG Nasty, 
Um, one of their safety mechanics is that you get to dictate what you don't want to see on screen, but you also get to narrate a scene that you will see somewhere within the story, as long as it doesn't contradict with other people's don't want to see. So if you really want to see something, you actually get to narrate that at the beginning of the story so you know it's coming, but you just don't know where. Very cool. Uh, Matthias Jonsson Hake from Free League. Thank you. Uh, I mainly work on fantasy and horror genres, but as we have a pretty wide spectrum of genres in our games catalog, it's been yeah all kinds of games that I've, I've worked on as an editor or whatever. So uh, I'm going to pick a golden oldie, one that has actually inspired me and my, my colleagues at, at Free League a lot. Uh, even, yeah, because it was like a, the origin of rooting the story in the rule set, if you will. So the, the insanity mechanics from Call of Cthulhu. Oh, wow. Mm. Interesting. Awesome. So how about all of you? I'm going to ask you a question now. Do you, have any of you played these games? Do you have um, narrative design things that you liked? Anybody want to mention something that they liked? I ask all the hard questions. All right, so, so the next question then is gonna be, um, what, so I wanna to touch on the insanity mechanic from Call of Cthulhu because when the insanity came, uh, mechanic came out and the words madness and, you know, like things from uh, Vampire the Masquerade, for example, like with the Malkavians, we've kind of learned a lot as human beings that, you know, maybe there's some things about horror and mental health and, and uh, you know, you brought up safety tools, things that we should change. Um, how, do you, how do you feel things like, if we were to do a contemporary insanity mechanic, um, knowing what we know now, without losing the feel of that from a narrative design perspective, how would you go about approaching that? I feel your eyes on me. Uh, I, I actually don't know how to answer that because I haven't given that much thought. I think it's in, in every... I work mainly with role-playing games and I saw the, the, the name of this uh, panel was narrative design in tabletop games in general. Okay. So, yeah. But I can only speak for role-playing games and for me it what insanity as mechanics did it was inspire me to find ways to merge story with rule set. Okay. Uh, and exactly, I mean, insanity is. I get what you are saying. I really don't know how I would go about doing that at the moment. I, I, one of my most recent recent game. I can circle back to me later. I can because <laughs> I you had that. something. I, I tell you, I ask all the hard yeah, questions. Yeah. I mean, the name of the game is yeah, yeah, designed, yeah. so I'll, I'll touched I'll on I'll a very in. popular one. Go I, ahead. I, 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 I agree with you that uh, the appeal of it is this idea that whatever concept, preconception you had for your character, now you've got an excuse to change it up. Yeah, and that's a really neat exploration for a player, right? I am A, but now I get to be B, and maybe I'll come back to A, but A might be changed. That's really cool. And I think that is the essence design-wise that, that I look for in what we would call, you know, that kind of insanity or whatever is. If you lose control of who you are as a construct and you change fundamentally enough, what does that mean for you? 
how do you make that a rich, cool experience? It's probably not minus two to hit, hopefully. <laughs> and, and so, so trying to architect that is really cool, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the neat juice of it. And um, and there are a number of, of different games that I think have done that in, in fun ways or adventures that have done that in fun ways that aren't just, you've gone mad, whatever that mm -hmm. might mean with all the connotations, but rather, yeah, and so like one I can think of that I worked on was for um, for Dwarven Forge, the miniatures terrain company, dwarvenforge.com. Uh, they want me to say that. Uh, they pay me, no. But um, we, we had this idea that kind of spores underground were getting into you, and so, or in, in another venture also we had the idea of magic items that had an impact over you, and so the idea of expressing the story of that thing, like the story of the magic item, and how that influences you, and that you want to be a little bit like it now can be cool, right? And, and it's an easy thing for a player to tether to and play with. Mm -hmm. So you're touching on something which I think is very important specifically um, within the horror genre is because there's often that conversation about is horror mood or theme. And as a narrative designer, you kind of have to think about it as both and that the rules aren't something that you can just strip out because if you strip out the rules, if that insanity mechanic goes away, you lose the experience. You lose the experience of that horror because of that loss of control. And, and that's, that's partially what I was trying to get at, is that, is that I, I also feel that the rules and the narrative, the rules enhance the narrative and enhance the experience. Um, and if it feels like it's getting in the way of the story, then even if it's a subsystem or something that's supposed to be there, I really skip it. Because it's like you, you want people to have that emotional feeling or that emotional yeah. Yeah. experience. And, and never, at least that's an important principle, I, I'd say in role-playing games, the player should always be in control of the character's reactions to what is happening, mm -hmm. right? You can, you can force circumstances on the character by mechanical means, uh, in the, yeah, stuff that happens in the in the setting and how the rule set works. But how you you can never, you should never, rules wise, tell the the player that your character is now scared or is whatever. Mm -hmm. So the reaction should always be, I think, up to up to the player and. Its interpretation on the situation. I don't know if I answered the question now, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think I did. But we're going it in is, a good direction. Yeah. So we're going in a good direction. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would uh, if I would make that a, a complete blanket statement because I think supernatural effects and things that are like, you know, uh, I, I'm gonna borrow you for a second, but I cast a crazy, mm. you know, witchy witchy crazy spell on you, and the reaction is you failed your role, and you will run from me. You are terrified of I me mean, because of an effect. Uh, but to say, and now you're afraid of me forever. I think that's that the, the yeah, difference yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is that mm -hmm. I'm not sure. changing you forever, but yeah. I can I can at least dictate mm -hmm. the action at this exact moment. Uh, sorry to borrow you. You're, you're perfectly <laughs> my dude. You're my target of opportunity, man. So, but yeah, you know, like if you look at the madness table in fifth edition, most of those things when you read them are like things you don't want to happen to your character. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're just bad penalties. They're mm -hmm. not fun role playing opportunities. They're just. Mm -hmm bad penalties and you have to contend with them under those rules yeah. that's, eh. I would uh, I would also say like I would take insanity out of the picture I would say it's more like how 
your character's reality is changing instead. And from where they are currently to now their reality is starting to no longer become theirs, but a shared reality with others who also have this grander perspective of cosmic horror and how that kind of seeps into what your character is experiencing instead. Uh, and, and even if we get down to the granularity of you know avoiding certain you know terminologies and things to to that sort of thing, you can always use things like composure or perceptions to avoid some of the more uh, uh, not great language that that can end up in our books sometimes. I think I think there's a difference, and I think that words have a lot of power in their yeah. design because um, you know with horror in particular, you want certain terms to evoke meaning and feeling, right? And if it's fantasy, it may be a different word. And if it's um, and if it's science fiction, it's a different word, right? Because um, because what is the? I guess that leads into my next question. Because ultimately, what is the point of narrative design? Like, why why do we need to have story if we have these rules? Like, what what do you think is the point of narrative? Like, why even do it in the first place? Not taken. You were breathing in. I was. I was. Uh, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to scoot. You're either a breath weapon or you've got an opinion. <laughs> Sometimes both. Uh, no, I think. I think that um, it kind of depends on what game you're playing as well. If I'm going into a meat grinder game where I know I'm sitting down with the DM of the, or, or GM, trademarks, uh, that they they sit down and they go, all right. I want everybody to make three characters. We're gonna go through five levels of dungeon. We got six hours, go. Then no, I'm not expecting it to be super narrative in, in essence, but if someone invites me to say their vampire game, and this is gonna be 10 sessions long, and we're gonna play once every other week, then yeah, no, I'm definitely gonna, I'm gonna be like, all right, no, we need to make sure that hopefully the mechanics don't get in the way of telling the story. We collectively are telling this story. And if somebody, if I've got a player that I've noticed, at least when I'm running a table, if that particular person isn't really getting involved, or you know, you, if they want to be part of the story, you want to be part of the narrative, pull them off to the side and, and be like, hey, are you, get, are you getting out of this what you want us to get out of it? Because maybe the character they're playing is a wallflower. You know, maybe they want to be the person that's just listening, and then in session 10, they're going to be like, and I'm Kaiser Sose. You know, like, like <laughs> it, it's, I think that the, the systems, certain systems lend more to more narrative in different ways. Uh, like I mentioned, Alien, again, awesome. Didn't realize you were on the panel, and I feel a little you know, fleshy face because of it. Um, but uh, that, you can get, the, the narrative in that is not gonna be deep on a character level. It's just the setting of that we're playing. Uh, you know, yeah, I can spend some time and explain that, you know, yeah, my guy's a ginger, and he's from this planet, and, 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 and he dies five seconds in. The narrative is that now I get to go, well, his parents are gonna get a letter. Did you just tell me about your character, Brian? I don't. <laughs> Somebody have a bingo card? I just <laughs> did what I'm not supposed card? to do. We got it. We got it. First, the one and the bingo card. So, so what I'm hearing about narrative design is that it needs to have a purpose, right? That's that's one of the most important things about narrative design. It has a purpose. It has to be about something, right? A narrative, a story, has to. No. Okay. Now I'm talking way too generally as if this is true for everyone. It isn't. From my perspective, and I guess that's why we're here talking, role-playing games, I, I design adventures. 
designing adventure for a role-playing game for me is not to design a narrative or a story indeed because the story appears where? With the players. At, at the table, yeah. right? And this is something that I've known since I started playing role-playing games. We, we bought these adventures, but what ended up happen, happening at our table was not what was in that book. We used that as a basis to create a, a, a narrative, create a story that had meaning for us, right? So for me, creating, um, creating stories or writing adventures for role-playing games is not about creating a narrative, it's about creating uh, the foundation of, or the, the building blocks, or inspiring to the telling of a, a tale that can be vastly different between different gaming tables. It's the potential for story. And I, yeah. I think that, I think that um, we use the words narrative designers as shortcuts because how do you explain to people, no, we create the potential for story? Yeah, yeah. You know, just say that. That is too long on a business card. Yeah, okay, <laughs> true. We, we, are, we, we explore the world's possibility of narrative and blah, 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 you know, keep going on. But um, because the potential for story definitely changes depending upon sometimes the way the dice roll and sometimes depending yeah. upon the personalities at the table. Like if you have min-maxers who want more guns, mm. Um, those stories are going to be bloody and violent, but... but... But that is really interesting. Like, there was once on uh, forums for D&D, &D, there were a bunch of optimizers that were complaining about things, and were like, why are you even bothering to use these organized play adventures? Just beat stuff up. And they're like, no, no, we really like that backdrop of story that's behind all of our really cool optimization. <laughs> it was yeah. really serious, right? And, and I was like, actually, that makes a lot of sense, right? And so it does, and it is true, and like, I've worked on HeroQuest, and Hero Quest is a run around, and, and there's a few actions, but it's, you know, tear down the monsters and whatever. But the reality is that Hero Quest players also want a neat story that makes you feel like you're doing something in it, mm -hmm. even if you may never role play. Because of Hero Quest being more board game than it yeah. is role playing yeah. game, you may not actually actively do things with your character, though you can. And mm -hmm. some of the stuff I've written in it does ask you to do that. But, but that's a, you know, it's still cool, it's still neat. And so I, I, I like to think that narrative can exist in both places. And I think a lot of players like it to actually exist in the product itself, as well as to the important part of what you're talking about, that, that seed that you're giving them that they can do cool things with. That's really neat. There's, um, there's an article I wrote for Apex Magazine a while back, and it was about how your D&D campaign really doesn't translate to a good novel. And the reason why I wrote it was not because of George R. R. Martin. If you don't know, Game of Thrones is based on his D&D campaign. Um, and George R. R. Martin is you know, pretty good at writing. Um, nobody laughs. I laugh. <laughs> it's great. These jokes what's are... That, what's that funny? What's going that? like this. Um, but the, the reason why... It was weird because you made the joke and then you finished it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for that criticism. I really appreciate it. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's 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 one for the record books. Okay, so um, but the reason why I wrote the article is because there was something always missing from the translation of the story of the campaign to a novel format, which is all story, right? And it was player motivations because the the story in the backdrop 
is what gives the players motivations to participate in the story at the table. And the first thing that goes, if you spend so much time game design and narrative design and writing and you try to go back to prose, is character motivations. Mm -hmm. Because those usually manifest at the table. So um, we've talked about in horror, right, like specifically Call of Cthulhu, the point of that is how do you continue surviving with this cosmic horror backdrop. We've talked about fantasy where people want to battle just and they want the backdrop. What about science fiction? Like what sorts of things? No, I was just clearing my throat. Did you work on a science fiction no. game? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please finish your question. Um, See if I, but with science fiction, it's like there's hard. Uh, it, it's I don't want to use. I guess some people call it hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi, mm. but I don't really like those terms. Um, more like um, more like realist science fiction or like future-seeking science fiction where it's more grounded in our reality and then there's some others with like fantasy elements with cyberpunk and whatnot like what what kind of potential for story for science fiction I mean it, it just feels like it's very different depending upon like are there any hallmarks of the genre that you think stand out or is it more based on the subgenre so I think one of the things with like science fiction specifically and things that are like cyberpunk and stuff like that is that the, the narrative design and the, the storytelling that's built into the system gives you kind of an idea, but then it gives you bits and bits and pieces for players to play around with potential of that technology. Okay. So the players can actually create new technology based on their ideas with their characters, or even work on it through story and, and play, or design it like through necessity. And that in and of itself changes the world. Mm, and so the, the players have the potential to change just from creating new tech. And then where does that go when your entire society ha is based around that? So something as a narrative designer you would look for, what I'm hearing from you is that you would want to make sure that you would have a broad range of technologies so that people could take what they wanted to inspire to make new tech. Is that what you're... I would, yes. Like the way that I would design it is I would have like basic stuff and then I would show modifications through story snippets or um, things within... Uh, scenarios and stuff like that where they, the, the basic tech has been taken and changed to fit the needs of what the person needed at that time. Mm -hmm. And then that way it's built into the system that the players can actually do that stuff without saying, hey, do this stuff. Mm, interesting. Okay. It's more, it's more of an invitation rather than a menu. So not to join the free league bandwagon. It's a good one. <laughs> but... Um, but uh, uh, did, did you? Did, did they get paid for yeah, this? Yeah, no. Yeah, it was 10%. We'll, we'll catch up after this. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, Blade Runner questions what the meaning of humanity is and, and how you feel about your humanity. And I think the Adventures in the Bucks do a really nice job of, of asking those questions, whether you're playing a human or could be a human mm. or not a human. Uh, they ask that question of you, and they find ways to keep asking that question of you through the play of the game. Cool. Yeah, and the thing is, for me, I have a hard time understanding why the genre, concept of genres are important 
for others than say librarians that need to sort <laughs> the stuff yeah. in their shelves. Uh, I think that exactly that thematic could do well in a fantasy setting or in we have a cyberpunkish uh, noir setting like Blade Runner. You can have that question as we did in Coriolis. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, mm, I, I agree with you all, but I, I, I fail to find myself, find guidance in the genre, concept of genres, actually. Mm. It's more about what, what I want to, what I want this story to be about, what I want to, what questions I want to ask myself and the players when they engage with, with the design. Let me let me rephrase the question specifically for you. Yeah. Do oh. you draw <laughs> Do you draw inspiration from other from other stories or media within that Yeah, yeah. Within and around of that. Of course, you can't not help but be inspired by that cool is stories. The power of genre. Yeah. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, let's say that I want to uh, I want to write an adventure that deals with a, the value of a human life mm -hmm. uh, and different aspects of that question. That question is fit to design an adventure placed in basically any of our games, at least, <laughs> that we are doing now. And they spread from, you know, uh, kind of Dragon Bane, which is more beginner fantasy, to Blade Runner, which is really heavy themed, dark, existential questions about human worth and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's it, for me, it's more about what I want, what I want to talk about. Well, I know, I'll flip it around a bit, and I've been very surprised, and I'm not going to name the game, but there's a game where you know it's like far future, the world's so different, and then it was like essentially caravan duty was the adventure, and I'm like, okay. And then I played um, Eclipse Phase, mm -hmm. and Eclipse Phase has a number. If you haven't seen their adventures, you gotta check them out. It's all just blows your mind. Like one of them is like, "Hey, here are your pregens. You're all playing the same character. You just all turned on, which is illegal. You can't have this many copies of you. And on the news is you just killed somebody. And you're go. Yeah. I, I Start love playing. that so and you're much. Like, are you, this is so good, right? And, and they have a number of adventures like this that just, the premise is like, like it's the best novel ever, but I'm going to play it right now. I'm like, okay. And that's like, I think that's where sometimes genre does need a certain something because it's like, yeah, that is actually why I wanted to play yeah. far sci-fi is for this sort of stuff. And so if you have me, you know, cover the caravan, yeah, okay, we'll fight some aliens. Cool, I guess. I think it's also about how much scenery you can chew. Uh, depending on the setting that you're given, uh, I, I deal with a lot of licensed properties, and sometimes it's not, you know, the store, some the, the basis of the story is already there, and now it's the how do I play in that sandbox? Uh, I want my players to make their own stories, mm. but for the product that we're creating, there's only so much leeway I'm given, whether it's because the license holder has said something, yeah. or it's because, you know, yeah, I'm gonna make this thing, and then it's gonna go over, like, uh, something terrible I was gonna use, profanity. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not going to go over well with the populace, because they're gonna buy this book, not heckin' good doggos, but it was great. 
um, they're gonna they're gonna get it and they're gonna go. I'm expecting this cool thing. Like for instance, uh, the Pacific Rim license, which has some amazing people that have worked on it. <laughs> uh, so if I if I take something legendary and go, I want to make this cool this cool thing, and they look at it and go, it's uh it's got no giant monsters in it. Mm. Uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a it's a, a a cerebral thing. We're really getting into the mentality of the of the PPDC, and and they're gonna go. But um, giant robots versus giant monsters is the license. (laughs) And I'm going to have to have that conversation with my amazing writers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be like, hey, so love the idea. We need monsters. (laughs) And at least one giant robot. And and that's so. Sometimes it is about the scenery that you're given, but you can still build within that uh, uh, within that realm. And then you go to the people who you're giving money to and say, "Is this okay?" And then they say, "Yes." I think I think the thing that is very interesting about adventure design in general and narrative design is that I, you know, I really love the fact that Shakespeare wrote for three different audiences at the same time and was able to pull it off because that's just like a genius level move, right? Um, in adventure design, sometimes you kind of have to anticipate that yeah. because there is going to be the people that looks at your adventure and they are going to want to crawl under if, if there's a freaking chest of drawers in your room in the library, mm-hmm. you better have descriptions for everything in that chest of drawers or a random table of stuff that can be in there because there's people that would use that. But then there's other people that would look at the same scenes that are supposed to be run for like half an hour, hour, whatever, you could play test the heck out of them and they would just blow right through it because they only wanted to get from point A to point B and that's it. They don't care about anything I else. I love this. <laughs> I love this, that you're saying is not. Yeah. And, and, and it, I think that role playing games, designers of today understand this much better than a decade ago or yes. longer back. That because I think that many adventures designers or people who have designed narratives for role-playing games have been game masters writing for other game masters and failing to take the perspective of the diverse group of players that are going to engage in this story. Mm-hmm. So, and again, super difficult, but at least I, I agree, it's super important that we try to introduce you know, because without that, the players and their characters don't have any agency. And how yes. can they do then be immersed and engaged by the story? How can they find the incentives to go on in this bleak world or this, you know? Yeah, yeah. so, and yeah, been, underlying your point here. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and, and that's been my experience with licensed games as well, is that I find that with licensed games, it's the number one thing in all of my um, career that has drawn new players. People who have never played a role-playing game before will go for a licensed game yeah, first. Yeah. That conversation has changed mm-hmm. now because of the popularity of D&D and the D&D movie. I didn't um, make the movie, but thank you for pointing towards me. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're I welcome. starred in it. I was the, no. Yeah, so totally. not like you didn't just uh, win a whole bunch of awards or anything. Jonathan. Yeah, who cares about it? You know? that's just, that's just um, but, but what's really fascinating to me is they need the all of the equipment in the game to play that first adventure with the signature characters. They need all of those stats. And then once they know the rules, they want to create their own stuff. Yep. But they need that as a starting point. And I think what's really interesting 
from what everybody's saying about the hallmarks of different genres and whatnot, it's very hard when you don't have signature characters that people can respond to or mm. I know right up front, right? Because like yeah. sometimes people don't understand when you say, hey, what would your character do? And they're like, I don't know. And then you're like, well, here's three options. And they're like, I would just rather sit down and think about yeah. my life choices before making a decision. Can something not hit me? <laughs> you know, it's like, please, can that arrow go this way instead of... Um, but it's... So as narrative designers, we have to take into different playing styles, mm -hmm. but also different levels of experience as well. And um, that just, it just comes from, like you said, it comes from the experience and, and the experiences of your team. Yeah, we, sure. we need to not only game master our games, the, the ones we create, play test them as a game master. We need to be players, I yeah. think. Uh, much more than 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 uh, than is usual, because we often end up game mastering, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Thinking through the play experience is is a, a skill I think that that we're still honing as a, a hobby to, to properly think through it, and and it's difficult because like I think yeah. of things on the narrative side where. If you get a group of players, some of them may love the thing where you say, and the adventure might do it, or it might be the, the GM that does it, but where you say, um, hey, tell me, as we walk into the tavern, what does the tavern keep look like? And you might be like, oh, they are this kind of person, and this is what's going on. And you might say, you tell me, man. Like, I'm here for you to be the GM. Like, yeah. I'm asked that, I don't want to build the world. Like, you build the world. And, and you can get really different approaches. And some folks love the style of play where it's like, you know, tell me five things that are happening in this town. Oh, yeah. Well. Yeah, I, um, uh, one, more, one more comment and then prepare your questions. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting is, is it's not just in the narrative design because I do everything based on story beats, knowing that those beats are going to turn, um, but also in the specific language that's going to be used because most of my developer comments, no, you have to explicitly spell this out. You have to explicitly, I'm just like, isn't that implied by the, no, you have to explicitly spell this out. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how some players will, and some DMs will not pick up on what they need to do unless it's ex so explicitly like, spelled out, even if they don't what use that. That can be, is neurodivergence. And that is, that is why we are still learning about player experiences. Yep. Because different yeah, people yeah. have different brains and different people learn how to play and retain information yep. in different ways. Uh, we have talked quite a bit about genre and narrative design and different things that, that we appreciate. I wanna ask if anybody has any questions or comments that they would like to add at this time, otherwise we're gonna keep going. So I'm, I'm really new to this whole tabletop gaming thing, like a little bit less than a year. Um, but I just, the kind of chat got thrown with the whole game design thing by accident. And I've always been curious, what is your approach to like, not desensitization, but especially with stuff with like horror and like just even just any adventure in general, at some point stuff gets repetitive. And so what is your, approach to trying to keep players being desensitized from things that have already been created or like if it's a horror something's like it's scary and then it's scary and then it's scary and at some point you have to find some way to switch it up 
Okay, uh, so the question is about how to switch a board to keep things fresh and interesting and um, manage pacing and emotions. You wanna, go ahead, Crystal. I can tell that you're smiling. Um, uh, first off, we, um, there is a horror panel. If you don't know, check it out. Um, it's going to be coming up Saturday. Yes, Saturday. Yep, I'm moderating that one. Um, so, so check it out. Um, but one of the things that you want to make sure that you're doing in a horror story, especially from a narrative standpoint, is you need to have ebb and flow. So you need to have points where there is horror and then points where there is not horror and where it seems like it's almost normal. And then you ramp up the horror again. And it doesn't even have to be the same, like don't always do jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. Sometimes it could be you play on one sensory thing. You have five senses, right? And then you have also that sixth sense. Play on one of those and then back off on it and then start playing on another one or adding another sense to it. And that, that way you, you aren't fully, you know, giving away the Cloverfield monster right away and what it actually is, you're playing off of all of the little teeny tiny parts that are happening instead. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I would also add to that that um, as they go on, make it personal. You make it as personal as possible. Yep. And that means that NPCs are recurring. Um, you, uh, you use things in the background, but there is not enough attention spent on weather, on the condition of the room, on the senses, like, you know, what the lighting is like, and, and diving into those things. And I also feel that a good um, horror soundtrack that doesn't have any words to it, uh, James Semple has done quite a few of them on repeat loop, are really effective because um, music as an audio cue can really help those experiences as well. The thing I'd say is, um, if you can get the players to tell you how their characters feel, it's generally more impactful than you telling them how they feel. Because when you say you're scared, they go, okay. But if you say, tell me about how you're scared and why, they will add to it in a way that you never could. And now it becomes personal to them and everybody at the table understands it. And that can keep things being more interesting and heightened longer because they are putting energy into it. Uh, I've, for games that I've run specifically, not as, not as a designer or anything, just like things that I've run, uh, I always try to end every session with a handful of questions to interact with the characters, or the players, characters. Um, and one of those is always, uh, what did you like and what didn't you like? Uh, because, and then just take good notes, and basically if everyone was like, I absolutely adored this particular moment, I can put that in my pocket and wait for later, so that way it's not repetitive, I'm not gonna do it every time, but I know that it's gonna get a good bang and maybe reset everybody's clock if, if it's gonna come back up later. Uh, also, don't be afraid to lie to your players. Uh, like when it comes to the game, do a false scene. Do, you know, all right, everybody's taking a long rest, or are we taking a long rest? And start the game over, keep going, keep going, keep going, and then just murder them. Uh, do horrible <laughs> things, things that they're like, whoa, we are not ready for this. And then as soon as everybody is toast, you go, and now your long rest is over. You wake up. You've woken up. And oh, you get you back on the road, and that, and that same camel just walked by. Yeah. Did, you, did you dream about that camel? I dreamt about that camel. And you, you can just sit back and let them talk for 20 minutes about, about, is this real? Is it not real? Did we just get Groundhog Day? And, yeah. 
Would you add this to the script of an adventure that you're <laughs> writing and publishing? Or, or, or are we talking game masters techniques now? Uh, I, in that case, I was talking more of a game master technique. Yeah. We could totally put it into an adventure if you, yeah. if, if you wanted to try and have that sort of kind of uh, cerebral hiccup. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you could absolutely cook that into an adventure as a just ha you have basically have an encounter that's not an encounter, but it's there to make and, them question everything else. And there I, are I there are some say, good Groundhog Day adventures out there. Yeah, I will say that I will say that the more cerebral horror, the more difficult it can be to manage depending upon the players. Because mm -hmm. um, the biggest thing with like the biggest thing with perspective shifts or reality shifts is that. There are some people, if they're very experienced at gaming, they'll automatically want to solve the problem to figure out how it can stop. Like once that reality shifts, they just want it to end. Um, there's other people that, um, so I, I do a lot, I play tested a, a ton of reality shifting things and the feedback that I got from the players is that every single one of them um, loved it when the players changed form. So when their physical body, when they perceive their physical body to either be something else or in, in some other state, like the game that I'm running um, this weekend is called The Cursed Citadel, and, and the reason why it's cursed is because they can't die and they actually change into different forms, like they turn undead and then they turn into a ghost and they have different abilities. They loved it because they have their character that they enjoy and get attached to and then something happens, a catalyst happens and they change and now they have all of these new parts of themselves and body horror to explore. Mm -hmm. And then it changes again. And that's a way of changing reality as well. Um, but if it's like a puzzle box, like um, like the cult classic Cube is a really good example of that for movies and whatnot. Sometimes people just want to find a way out. So, you know, making it personal is definitely the way to go. Um, you had a question? The one you No, right? no, I... You did not have a question? Well, I, I was going to say your question interesting narrative design yes. that you've seen. I was thinking of a lot of like mini indie RPGs and like one page RPGs where literally your stat changes as you succeed or fail and that changes a lot of the um, role play that goes around with it. Um, and now I'm forgetting all the names of the ones I was thinking like of. Like a but, heist type thing. Yeah, like Honey Heist or Lasers, lasers and, and feelings. feelings. Yeah, I love lasers, lasers and feelings. Um, is it a yeah. cra crab? Uh, is it space crab truckers or cra there's a there's a you're a bunch of humanoid crabs that drive trucks. It's <laughs> goats on the loose is also it's fantastic. One. Goats on the loose. Yeah. Yeah. The the one page I think the one page um, RPGs are an excellent 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 way to try to uh, it's a challenge for narrative design because you have even with the adventure writing, right? Like you have a constraint. Usually we have like, you know, it's this adventure is either 8,000 or 20,000 words. It's like you have but, only so much space to put in. What, what you're talking about is a perfect example of, you know, I would go so far to say it. When, when I write for role-playing games, I, I have to renounce the idea of having control of the narrative, right? Uh, when I, if I want control of the narrative, I write the novel, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Not the script, movie script, because then I have some producer that needs a butt in and whatnot. So, yeah. But in role-playing games specifically, that, 
I mean, that is a super cool engine for a story to develop around or a narrative to develop around. So we can use we can use lore, uh, setting, and we can use mechanics to provide a toolbox for cool stories to emerge. I, I totally agree that, uh, I mean, I, I write these silly, massive adventure campaigns. They have a narrative, but it's it, hopefully not written as the narrative of the player characters, but there's an, in the backdrop, there's stuff happening that players will react to and so on. Where was I going with this? It's, it's to my defense, it's 11 o'clock in Sweden right now. Oh. So I'm <laughs> starting to... Anyway, I think it's so many cool things have been said. And, and what you just did was give an example of how we can use the mechanics of the role-playing games to provide you know, tools for story building at the table. Yeah. Ninth Level Games produces um, an anthology every year for Free RPG Day of mini game designers. Mm. Um, spoiler alert, I am in one of them. But there's a number of them. They've been doing this, I think, since 2020, I want to say. Um, and it's an anthology, so you get like somewhere between 10 to 15 games. And it's a free download. It's a free mm. digital download. Yeah, so they did start mini. it for that. Yeah, yeah it's it's... So it's a ton of different people every year, and I think it's a really good exercise. Uh, and I, if, if any of you want to do game design, I challenge you to do the, an RPG in that kind of space. It's like a thousand words or fifteen hundred words or something like that. You know, because you're distilling everything down. Um, I definitely want to make sure I get everybody's questions. Anybody else have a question or a comment? In the back. In the back. And so we talked a lot about genres and how some things don't. Some might not pertain to genres. Uh -huh. so I was wondering if you have examples of genre specific tools that were used outside of their genre. Genre specific tools, like um, speculative, mm -hmm. like speculative genre or speculative fiction. Wow. I do have I don't, an example. I don't know what a tool is in this sense. I have an example. Yeah, okay. sure. Shoot. Um, so. So one of the one of the things have you ever played the gumshoe system? Okay, so the gumshoe system, the entire premise behind this this system is that you always get a clue, no matter what. And so because a mystery is at the heart of any genre, right? Like it's always about trying to solve what's happening. This system transcends genre, and it always allows the player to have the agency to find a clue. I think it's really well done um, because it. One of the things that happens is is that it has a different meaning depending upon what story you're in, whether that's um, whether that's the Yellow King or um, the vampire game or like a fantasy game and whatnot, because the stakes are different. So you have a system where you always get a clue. In a horror game, that's invaluable because you always need to propel the plot forward for it. But in a fantasy game, the stakes may not be as high, but you're still propelling the plot. So it's, it's the same rule set, it's just tweaked a little bit differently and it transcends the genre. Very, very well done. Anybody else have an example? That's it. That's I, have, I have one that I would do that I haven't seen used outside, which would be the facehugger 
actually the the dice for facehuggers in Alien because yes so you can use that in other things because it's a randomization role where you know you roll your dice and if a facehugger comes up oops there's a facehugger um but you can use that in almost any other genre um with something like abs like I'm going to take D&D because it's on my mind right now. Um, oops, there's a mimic. You know, like... Mm-hmm. That sounds but, like the name of an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, like, something that I would absolutely take from Alien mm. to put into something else to I'm have fun to with. I'm going to be broke after yes. this. <laughs> but everything is... It's great design, though. The, that's the thing. The, the design is one of my colleagues called Thomas Herrenstam. So I'm not bragging but i was actually going to mention i would say the push mechanic yeah that's yeah. that's the core of what we're talking about now yeah. and that i've uh, i've been involved in the walking dead role playing game as a project manager and editor uh working together with Nils Hinze, and he is has picked that up and i would argue tweaked it and, and pushed it a little bit further uh we are using a kind of stress mechanic linked to push rolls even in a rules light and theme uh, you know mirth and mayhem in dragon bane you get uh, you can get these conditions uh, by pushing the role that will change uh, a bit of how you role play and stuff so yeah i uh, not to brag about me yeah. but my dear friend <laughs> thomas I, I i think that that is also a really interesting uh, tool that can transcend genres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, and I don't know if it's clear enough to folks who haven't tried it, but the, the idea that you, you're going to roll more dice, which can enable success, but because these dice have failure faces on them, mm-hmm. also the risk is now higher. Yep. And sometimes you're just forced to do that. Sometimes you can choose to do it. That mechanically is really awesome, right? That's really fertile ground for any kind of genre. It could be a spy game, it could be whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can yeah, see we have it in really Mutant as well. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah I was, I, I'm just kind of laughing now. I definitely want to get to additional questions, but I just had a very funny thought. Uh, so Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition has Hunger Dice, which is you're always right. rolling to see about... And I was like, wow, that would be great for a hungry, hungry hippo game. And then, like, you are always. <laughs> are you dead yet, Crystal? Yeah. Now I'm trying to design that in my head. <laughs> uh, I, I believe we have two more questions, right? So, so I want to make sure we get to them before time. So let's go with you first, and then we'll come back to you. So go ahead. Thank you, Madam so You're welcome. The conversation seems to have drifted towards me. Yes. And my brain's still wrapped on narrative design. Cool. Bring so, it back home. So the question is, it's sort of which came first, the chicken or the egg. Is it important to consider mechanics when creating a narrative-driven adventure or, or vice versa? So, so do, you, do you necessarily have to create a narrative adventure based on mechanics and stuff? Or, you know, should it fit all? Or just go with the really great story how the mechanics will sort of find their way in there. Can I talk about Pacific Grove for a second? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so um, so I used to start really caring about system, and then I was like, I just want to do stuff and have somebody else figure out the system stuff. 
And that's what I did on Pacific Rim because um, I worked on a couple of adventures just recently and, and one of them, um, I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to make a cult. Brian, I'm going to make a cult. So um, I made a cult and the first cult didn't work because uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't going to work for the timeline and the canon. So I made a different cult and, they, and then I just basically created a whole subsystem of social cues using a lexicon and that was just something I wanted to do and it just ended up working out. But um, I, I, I used to be the person that prioritized rules over narrative and then I realized that I felt too constrained by that and I wasn't able to prioritize what I really wanted was to give the players a good experience. So now I would like to pass it back to, to my fellow panelists. Uh, I think, so when, uh, when we created Essence 20, uh, we were told from the very beginning that this needed to be a a, a cinematic system uh, because we're, we're making shit, we're making uh, a role playing game based off of cartoon properties where you know red and blue lasers make up half of what you know, and and so it it came down to sometimes that's a super cop out answer for you. Sometimes the system helps. Uh, there are definitely some systems that lean where their their mechanics are story. Uh, they are narrative in nature. And then there's others that it's like, no, no, everything is codified. Uh, you know, you get, I can tell an awesome narrative story with something like GURPS or Rifts, but when it comes down to the actual, like, crunch of what I'm playing, it's not helping. I have to make it help. Uh, and when it comes to a designer, then that's the tool you've been given, is am I writing this adventure where I have to spell everything out, or am I writing the adventure where I'm saying, these are a couple of things you can do with this system, and then tell your story, or I'm gonna say, hey, your story is amazing and awesome and cool, please use these like seven or eight skills and figure out how they work. Uh, it just depends, there's a little bit of both. Again, I hate to be the cop-out answer of, it depends, YTYC, your table, your call. Um, but it's, it, it comes down to, there are some systems that are better at it than others, and writing, for, writing a narrative adventure for those systems will be easier. Uh, it's okay, I'll add very quickly that you don't want to violate your system overall, right? Like people are there for the system, so you don't want to override that. If it's supposed to be crunchy, you can't just abandon that because that's what the expectation generally. Unless you break the system and make them create new subsystems like me. Okay, <laughs> so. favorite statement that I ever read in anything that's ever written to me is read or paraphrase the following. Uh, it, it, you can have cool dialogue blocks, you can have cool uh, like scenic blocks and things, but if your GM is more freeform and want to, I want, I want you to, you were talking about the, the people that walk into the bar and say, describe five things. I want to have answers for the GM if they want them. Uh, but they don't necessarily have to use them. You don't want it to be a, a color by numbers adventure. You want it to be 
this is a cool tool and I'd like you to, I'd like, you know, make sure that the bar, you know, the bar, because if, if the bar has something under the floorboards, that might come up later in the adventure and the guy doesn't know. Uh, but I don't necessarily need to say, hey, thump under the, you know, thump under the floorboards, 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 the floorboards. Awesome. Um, We're speaking so now, yeah. 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 now, unfortunately, uh, I think call time. No worries, no worries. Um, Was that helpful I, at all? Yes. Okay. Um, but I do want to remind everybody that some of the panelists will be here on weekend.